2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials, and how to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. All right, so this morning, as we get into chapter 2 of Second Peter, we're receiving a serious warning about false teachers. But before we jump into chapter 2, I thought it would be take, helpful to take a couple minutes and to review chapter 1 with the aim of seeing how a teacher of the truth carries himself and teaches. And so as we look back at chapter 1, we see that Peter introduces himself as a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. He says that he is a slave of Christ, a sent one of Christ. So he is a slave and a sent one. Next, he says that uh, Peter counters any assertion that he and the other apostles are somehow special because of their position. But he writes, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. He emphasizes that the only thing that carries weight in the kingdom of God is that they are recipients of the same undeserved grace of God, just like his readers are. And so as he moves past his introduction and he gets into the body of his letter, what is the first thing he goes to? What's the first thing he sets the gaze of his audience onto? He begins by pointing his readers straight to God. He says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And so Peter sets his reader's eyes straight to God and reminds them that it is his divine power, all the power that there is at work in you, giving you everything you need for life and godliness. And this comes through the knowledge of him. So he points his readers straight to the knowledge of God. And then he says, for this very reason, Make every effort to add to your faith knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control. 
self-control, steadfastness, and steadfastness, godliness, and godliness, brotherly affection, and brotherly affection, love. And so he's shown them already that you set your eyes on God, on the knowledge of him, on his faithfulness to do all that he's promised. And it's for this reason, because God is who he is, that is why we make effort to add to our faith, knowledge, and self-control, and love, and steadfastness. And so he, he makes sure his readers understand that these things aren't coming from themselves, but they're coming from God Almighty at work in them. And then next, Peter, as a teacher, he turns um, and he has the eternal and ultimate good of his people in mind in verse 11. For in this way, there will, richly, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God has revealed to Peter he's gonna die for his faith soon, but rather than attempting to preserve his life, he spends the last of himself serving his flock, feeding his sheep, reminding them of the foundational things that will establish them in the truth. That's verses 12 to 15. Lastly, he reminds them of the power and the coming of Jesus, which the prophetic word spoke about. He centers his flock's unfolding place in history in God's unfolding plan of redemption. He roots his flock in the ultimate triumph of the king. Now, this is significant for his flock who, who undergoes trial and testing through these false teachers who are coming. And so, in summary, Peter is a teacher who loves God. He has been transformed by God. He has been sent by God. And he now serves his flock by boldly and sacrificially pointing them back to the knowledge of God. He is a teacher who instructs his flock to be conformed to the nature and character of God by dying to themselves in order to seek God and serve others. As we get into chapter two, we are warned about false teachers, but I believe that we see a profound juxtaposition between the true teaching found in chapter one and the message of the false teachers in chapter two. I pray that you will see this this morning and that this will be used by God to make you wise about, who, about whom and what you listen to. I pray that you are preserved on the narrow, path of, the narrow path that leads to life and saved from the wide and easy path that leads to destruction. And so now as we enter chapter two and encounter a warning, um, and it is that just as in the Old Testament, the people of Israel had received the prophetic word from God and yet there were false teachers who rose up against, amongst the Israelites and led them astray, so also now there will be false teachers who rise up amongst them and lead them astray. And so there are six realities that he wants us to recognize as we consider these false teachers. One, false teachers act with subtlety and deception to undermine our knowledge of God. Two, False teachers end up denying that Jesus bought us with his precious blood. Three, false teachers promote sensuality rather than submission. Four, false teachers bring dishonor upon Jesus. Five, 
false teachers are in the hands of a wrathful God. And then six, that those who stand fast in the way of truth are in the capable hands of a God who rescues. And so number one, false teachers act with subtlety and deception to undermine the knowledge of God. Let's start in chapter two, verse one. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Notice how it says will. There will be false teachers among you. He doesn't say there might be. He says there certainly will be. Should this not shake us out of laziness and complacency as we listen to teachers? Should we not be driven to know and understand the word of God so that, as Peter encouraged at the end of chapter 1, we might have the prophetic word as a light in, the dark, in a dark place to give us clarity and ability to understand truth and recognize falsehood. So there will be false teachers who secretly bring in destructive heresies. Now, what is a destructive heresy? To answer that question, I think we must begin with a more foundational question. Who is God? How has God acted on our behalf? For what purpose do we exist? How you answer these questions will form the foundation for how you live in the world. To answer these questions will determine why you get out of bed in the morning, it will determine how you relate to your spouse, it will determine how you raise and discipline your kids, how you carry yourself at work, it'll determine how you live in society. It's, a vital, it's of vital import um, that the truth of God's word forms and shapes your understanding of the God you worship and how you worship him. A destructive heresy is something that comes along and twists or neglects or unduly emphasizes aspects of God's character, twists or emphasizes aspects of God's works or aspects of God's commands. It twists or neglects the things of God. A heresy will always misunderstand the nature of God or the work of Jesus and will by that means create a pseudo-justification for sin and selfishness. But a false teacher never just stands up and says, I know the Bible says this, but this is truth instead. None of us would fall for that, right? False teachers secretly bring in destructive heresies. They pretend obedience. They pretend a love for God and that they're teaching the scriptures. But all the while, they twist and massage the scriptures to promote their own desires or agenda. Number two, we're warned that false teachers will end up denying that Jesus bought us with the costly price of his blood, even denying the master who bought them, Peter says. So why does Peter use the phrase denying the master who bought them? I believe it's because at the center of our faith lies the cross, dreadful and triumphant. The cross testifies both to our dreadfully sinful condition and God's triumphant rescue and restoration of mankind to himself. You see, it demonstrates God's love and his justice all at once. In no way does it pardon sin, but in glory of all glories, it pardons sinners. 
And so now we, the people of Jesus, sit under the cross and marvel that although the wrath of God was aimed in all its fury against us in our sin and rebellion, that Jesus has done for us on the cross what we could not do. He has caused us to stand reconciled and forgiven. Our sin hasn't just been swept under the rug to be brought up at a later time. It has been paid for in full. It is finished. There is now no more condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Our master has bought us with his precious blood. Now this is precisely what false teachers tend to deny. They deny the master who bought us and in so doing deny the dreadfulness of sin and they deny the triumph of the cross. And don't be mistaken, this wasn't just a problem that existed in the first century. This is pervasive in our day as well. People begin to say things like, well, the cross was a demonstration of God's love for all people. The cross is the greatest example of selfless love, and we should follow in his example. All of the sudden, in such a subtle way, the philosophical foundations have been laid for all kinds of false teaching. Jesus has ceased to be our savior, and instead he is merely our example. Our faith, which is rooted in Jesus' sacrificial death, has been craftily changed into an example to emulate. The power of God to redeem sinners has been exchanged for human effort. But that's not all. Sin has also ceased to be utterly sinful. It is now merely a cruel sickness we are victims of rather than what the cross would say it is, namely the treasonous rebellion against the king of glory. You see, the cross is the demonstration of God's love for humanity. It is the greatest example of selfless love that we will ever see, and we should seek to emulate it. Emulate it. Jesus is our example. But it is also how the righteous king dealt with his wrath sinful people and he bought these people to be a people of his very own when teachers through careful admission omission deny this reality they are distorting the knowledge of God and this is a destructive heresy now this is just one example something that I have seen um, in certain teaching that I've listened to or or been under at times but there are many we must be deeply rooted in the truth so that we might smell the stench of false teaching and death before it brings sin and death among us. You see, Peter says that these false teachers will bring upon themselves swift destruction. They have set themselves against the all-powerful God. They have purposely strove against the author of life. They have come between God and the people whom God loves and Jesus died for and they have attempted to distract and deceive. This is not a safe place. God promises swift destruction for such teachers. Number three, false teachers promote sensuality rather than submission. So notice in verse two how it says, and many will follow their sensuality. This is a heartbreaking verse. When Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, at the end, near the end of the sermon, he warns, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. 
The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Isn't this a terrifying verse that Jesus, specifically speaking to those who are following him, warns that many people will take the easy road by refusing the call to discipleship that Jesus is offering. Here, Peter tells us one of the reasons why this can be so. And many follow in their sensuality. It's their sensuality. This is at the heart of the matter. Destructive heresies are taught and believed not because innocent searchers genuinely seeking for the truth accidentally go down the wrong path, but rather it's because self-exalting, rebellious people who desire to fulfill their lusts and passions devise plausible theories of how God can be controlled. Or at least the message of God's salvation can be twisted to make room for continued sensuality rather than submission. It really comes to a point in this. Have you laid your life in the merciful hands of God? And have you ceased attempting to find life on your own and live for your own name? Do you delight in God and his salvation is your deepest joy and submitting to him for his name's sake? Do your desires and actions demonstrate a life that makes much of God? Or do your desires and actions demonstrate a life that is selfish and consumed with your own comfort and pleasure? See, false teachers will offer a plausible system of religion by which you can attempt to control and use and manipulate God to give you what you really want. You can use him for happiness. You can use him for comfort. You can use him for pleasure or safety. But this is not the precious faith that is of equal standing with Peter's. Peter's faith was about the power of God at work in human beings to make them people who bring glory to God. Think about it. If you submit to God and make every effort to add to your faith virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love, what does your life start to be marked by? Your life starts to be marked by a love of God, a a being consumed with who he is and what he is like. And the consequence of that also is you start to love other people. You're steadfast in your relationships. You're, you're kind, you're loving. Um, these things necessitate submission. Sensuality must die. Submission must persist. But before you think God is calling you to endless serving and suffering, this comes with a promise that those who give up control of their life and lose it will find true life in God. We were not made to make much of ourselves and counter to everything that our sinful flesh screams out to us, we will finally find life when we die to ourselves and live to the glory of Christ which, by the way, is scripturally defined as loving and serving those whom God loves and Christ died for. And so I ask, is your life surrendered and submitted to the glory of God? Or are you simply trying to use God to get what you really want? Number four, false teachers bring dishonor upon Jesus. It says, and many will follow in their sensuality, And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. 
What is blasphemy? It's the act or offense of speaking sacrilegiously about God or sacred things. If you're anything like me, that definition didn't bring it more to a point. What I came up with is you could say that that this verse is essentially saying that because of those following these false teachers in sensuality, the way of truth is being maligned or defamed. It's being made a mockery of. The way of truth is being mocked because of these people. Why? Why do their lives and actions make a mockery of the way of truth? It is because they are claiming to have a relationship with God and to be following him when it is apparent to everyone but them and their followers that their lives are self-indulgent and petty. They are not telling the truth about the glory of God through their lives. Instead, their faith has become a cover for sensuality and selfishness. This is a grievous lie. God is not an accomplice of sin and selfishness. He is the one who redeems human beings out of slavery to selfishness and frees them to eternal life in living in his love and his peace. A Christian is someone who brings glory to God as the Holy Spirit works in them to learn obedience to Jesus and repentance based on Christ's blood when they stumble. In short, a Christian is learning by the very power of God at work in their lives to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. To instead use the message of grace to promote guilt-free sensuality is to blaspheme the way of truth and invoke the wrath of God. The fifth thing we learn about false teachers is that false teachers are driven by greed and are in the hands of a wrathful God. It says, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. See, these false teachers are slaves to sensuality and they pine for power, wealth, and influence um, over those whom they lead. They are driven to fulfill their selfish desires They have not learned the joy of obedience to God and living a life of service to others. They are trying to manipulate God for their own ends. And wherever this is true, you can be sure these teachers will turn on their fellow human beings. They will turn on their flock with an attitude of superiority and with an attitude of using them for affirmation or for wealth. But make no mistake, their condemnation from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. God is not blind, and his patience, which leaves leaves time for repentance, should not be mistaken for indifference to sin, as we might sometimes suppose. His righteousness will demand an accounting for everything under the sun. You must not think God does not see or act. His recompense is promised. This is a major theme of Second Peter, that the second advent of Jesus is coming in power to redeem his own who have taken refuge in Christ and to judge those who are rebellious mockers living in selfishness and sensuality. And so lastly, point six, P 
Peter says that those who stand fast in the way of truth are in the capable hands of a God who rescues. And so in the middle of this promise that there will be false teachers, that many will follow in their, their destructive heresies, that, that this will be the experience of believers as they live life as a part of the church, that there, there will be deception and deceit, there will be sensuality that brings blasphemy on the way of truth. In the middle of all of this, finally Peter brings them back to remember that those who stand fast in the way of truth, they are in the capable hands of a God who will not let them go. They are in the capable hands of a God who rescues. I don't know if you guys have ever went through a season of your life where you felt confused or scared or you didn't know what the truth was or, and, and you've wrestled through some dark nights of the soul or you've wrestled through teaching, you've wrestled through what is true, right? I don't know if you've dealt with false teaching before, but it is such an assurance that there is a God who is in heaven who has sent his son and who promises that he will lead us into all truth. That if we look to him, if we look to the gospel, if we look to the Holy Spirit's work in our life, we can have confidence that God is able to finish what he is doing in us, what he has begun in us, right? That is our confidence that God becomes our teacher by his spirit. And actually what is really cool is, is Peter in chapter one now is demonstrating that his life has been transformed and he's a little bit like Jesus. If you see how he is teaching, he's, he's ready to die for his flock. God has actually done a work in his life to make him a little bit like Jesus and now Peter is showing what Jesus is like as he shepherds. So, so by God's grace, there are, there are teachers, there are people who lead us, there are people God puts over our lives to shepherd and to guide us. By his grace, he will lead us in that way but we must not close our eyes to the, the reality, the warning that you will also be confronted by false teaching and you must guard your heart, you must be careful, you must be in the word so you can decipher these things. But finally, the sixth point, those who stand fast in the way of truth are in the capable hands of a God who does rescue. Verses four to 10. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what, was, what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over the, de over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. It's okay, it's okay if we're tormented by the unrighteousness that is going on around us. Sometimes we just need to acknowledge that, that this, this life does have torment. If you try and live in righteousness, it will break your heart to live in this world that loves, loves sin. 
Um, so Lot, then, he, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. And so if you were carefully listening, you will see that God uses three examples of how God acted in the past to tell us about how God will act in the present. He uses the example of the angels who sinned, whom he threw out of heaven into hell to be kept until the day of judgment. He uses the example of God preserving Noah while bringing judgment on the rest of the world. He uses, thirdly, the example of God rescuing Lot while destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. His argument is this. If God acted powerfully in these situations, in this manner, will he not so act in our situation? Has not God proven himself capable of rescuing the godly, all the while keeping the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment? And Peter's answer to that is, of course he will, of course he can. Yes, God, this is how God has acted in the past, and this is how God will act in the future. In conclusion, I leave you with a challenge. Take care from whom you learn and what you are taught. Make a focused effort to know God and trust in his gospel as revealed in the scriptures. Make every effort to fortify your faith with knowledge and self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. In this way, you will have discernment and be fortified against the false teaching that is sure to come your way. We live in a time where the ideas of the larger culture are quickly and pervasively becoming the ideas of the visible church. Sin, atonement, resurrection, God's design for marriage, godly leadership, the value of meekness and submission, the sanctity of human life, even the concept of truth itself. These and many more precious biblical realities are just being relentlessly challenged and even sometimes thrown out and we, we tell ourselves it's out of openness, out of being relevant. Um, we are tolerant. We're, we're loving people by not putting an obstacle in their way. But, but, but we are left with a choice in the end. Submission to God's mighty work in our lives, leading to eternal life. Or selfish, selfish sensuality, leading to the degradation and dishonoring of everything sacred. Stand fast in the truth, for God is not idle. He is coming soon.